Welcome to Declaration, where we exist to help people encounter and follow Jesus. Here at Declaration, we believe God has a word for you and your family to live a life of fullness and to be faithful to Christ and His church. If you want to know more about who we are at Declaration, I highly encourage you to visit declaration.org. Enjoy our series. Pray first. All right, everybody. Somebody say, oh, yeah. Somebody say, "Uh uh-huh. Man, you are alive and awake and ready this morning. I'm so excited about that. Hey, can we do something? Fifth and sixth grade, if you're here, stand up. We want to send you out in style as you go to your class. We're going to clap. Keep clapping as loud as you can. Welcome everyone joining us online, the online fam. Hey, a couple of quick things. As Pastor Aaron told us via video, and he's actually here live in person too, so that's kind of weird, but small groups, they are open. Please go to declaration.org. Check that directory. Again, we say this a lot and we mean it. We don't want it from you. We want it for you. We really believe that God is doing some incredible things right now, not just in the life of our church, but I I believe that God is doing something very significant in this season. I kind of talked about it a little bit last week with the 11 o'clock at the very end. I'm just going to tell you now, I feel like God's just kind of put this spark in my spirit for something. And I really believe that we are entering into a harvest season. I'm not going to put definition to that. I'm going to let God define what that is. But what that tells me is what the Bible says. What does it say? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are. So I think that God is going to like put some new passion in every single one of us for things like discipleship and evangelism and sacrifice and just, God, what is it that you're wanting to do in my life? Because there's something significant you want to do through my life. And so with that said, if you're somewhat new to the family, if you're kicking tires or whatever, you want to learn more about the heartbeat, the vision, the values of declaration. We want to invite you today, immediately after the service, down that hallway near the restrooms, there'll be DNA. And they're doing DNA One. We would love to have you there. You'll, you'll learn about the church. You'll learn about just kind of where is it that we're heading? Where have we been and where are we going type things? We would love for you to check that out right after this service. Everybody clap one more time as we get going. Because God is good, amen? Well, let's start this way. Do you often dream, anybody? Do you dream when you sleep? Do you remember it? <laughs> Sometimes. Do you remember parts of it, Right? There's times where sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll kind of be half awake, half asleep. I don't know where I'm at in that process, but my mind is racing and I'm thinking about something that happened last night and I have to like wake up and write it down. So I'll just kind of write it down real fast so I'll remember it the next morning. Dreaming while you sleep. Sometimes maybe even daydream. Anybody a daydreamer in the house? Like you find yourself just kind of staring off into space and all of a sudden you're like in Maui or something, <laughs> right? I don't know, I mean... Maybe you have that propensity in life. You know, you're just known as the, you're in a constant state of daydream. Maybe it's because you've got that attitude of just constant utopian, I don't know, whatever, right? Dreaming. Well, I read this story this week about this little boy and it kind of started out like most evenings, you know, mom and dad are, are doing what they're doing. They're busy and, and little Jimmy's playing. It's after dinner and um, mom's very absorbed in what she's doing. Dad is still working a little bit and, and um, there's a full moon outside. So it's still a little more bright than usual. And all of a sudden mom kind of looks up at the clock and realizes what time it is. She says, Jimmy, it's time for you to go to bed. So head on upstairs and get stuff done. And, and sure enough, like strangely, like abnormally, he just complies. I don't know. Maybe the Lord is moving in the house. Who knows? No, no, no pushback. He goes upstairs. Well, mom gets lost again in what she's doing. And about an hour later, she realizes I have not gone upstairs to, you know, make sure that Jimmy is asleep. So she goes upstairs 
And she finds Jimmy kind of sitting, looking out of his window, staring at the moon. And she says, well, Jimmy, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm looking at the moon, mom. And she goes, well, okay, well, that's, that's good. It's, it's time to go to bed now. And, and reluctantly, though, he still said, okay, that, that's fine. But mom, I want you to know one day I'm going to go to the moon. I'm going to the moon. Now, obviously, he was in full dream mode, right? A little kid um, just enamored by what he was seeing. And he says, mom, one day I'm going to go to the moon. Now, who would have known, listen, who would have known that that little boy who was dreaming that dream, that that dream was planted in his heart, in his mind at a young age, who would have known he would survive a near fatal motorbike accident that broke nearly every bone in his body, but then that dream would come into fruition 32 years later. That boy's name was James Irwin. And he stepped onto the moon's surface. He's only one of 12 people to ever do that. Dreams. Do you dream? Do you daydream, right? Have you ever felt like you've had a dream that was so profound, so significant, so even massive that it seemed impossible, that that maybe the only place that that could have come from was from the Lord, right? Maybe it wasn't even a dream that that somehow you realize this could shape the whole trajectory. This could, this could shape the whole purpose of my very existence. Now, at one time, do you remember a time maybe that God, that you felt like God really gave you a dream? That this was something supernatural. And maybe you've kind of coasted through life for a while, or maybe you've, you've you know, some years have gone by. Imagine little Jimmy as he's thinking about the moon. How many years went by before, right? And all of a sudden, maybe you've hit some moments and maybe that dream feels like it's gone dormant. Maybe even that dream feels like, oh, that was, that was when I was a kid. So it's just kind of a dead thing. Like that's not reality, right? Maybe you're the person though, that when asked how it's going, maybe you're that guy that's like, oh, LTD, baby, I'm just living the dream. Anybody, you know those people? I've got one friend, it does not matter what's going on. I mean, he could be in the midst of the worst scenario. And all, hey man, how's it going? LTD, baby, just living the dream. But I wonder how many of us, we've dreamed and maybe God has given us a dream and we've been looking at that dream on and off here and there. Or maybe we've even chose to forget. Listen, I wanna define the word dream for us. Not me, obviously, Webster. We, we Obviously, we look at Webster a lot to give us some definition of words. But I feel like that many times Webster falls short, especially in matters of spiritual vocabulary to put real definition. But look what Webster says, dream. A series of thoughts, images, or emotions occurring in deep sleep. Or number two, an experience of waking life, having the characteristics of a dream, such as a visionary or a creation of the imagination, a state of mind marked by abstraction or release from reality, or even an object seen in a dreamlike state, like a vision. And obvious in scripture, we see that dream and vision can be interchanged, used in the same way, two different words, but used in the same. Look at that next slide, more definition from Webster. Um, something notable for its beauty, excellence, or enjoyable quality. Maybe right now, it's a good moment for you to look at your wife and go, baby, you are a dream girl. Ah, Whatever, right? Number four, just trying to help you out, brothers. A strongly desired goal or purpose, something that fully satisfies a wish. So a lot of things that Webster defines for the word dream. Now, let me say this. There are times, uh, many times, I believe, that God actually uses dream. He uses our imagination to speak to us. And when he does, one could say there's usually a prophetic message involved in that dream. 
In fact, we see God speaking to people through dreams and visions all throughout the Bible, giving them a prophetic picture or even making an announcement of his plans. And that's what we're gonna look at really for the next four weeks is a dream that was really God speaking to a character named Joseph and he's making an announcement of future plans, instructing him of something to come as he basically, when he does that with us, he's inviting us to partner with him for a divine significant purpose. Now, just so you know um, that I'm not just kind of flippantly saying these things. I want to show you, or I just want to kind of rattle some places in the Bible where we see God speaking in this way through dreams. Obviously, Abraham, Genesis 15, first book of the Bible. Um, Abimelech, Genesis 20. Jacob, who's also known as Israel. This is a story we're going to camp in. Genesis 28, Genesis 31, Genesis 46. Laban, Genesis 31. Joseph, that's the real story. Genesis 37 through, you know, um, well, he's the dream is really in 37, but it plays itself out, which we're going to see. The butler in the story of Joseph, as well as the baker, Genesis 40. Pharaoh, he spoke in dream, Genesis 41. Same story. Balaam, Numbers 24. A Midianite man in Judges 7. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3. Nathan, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Um, Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 3. Um, that's a dream. There's a vision. Um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel uh, chapter 4, chapter 2. Um, the whole book of Daniel is full of dreams and visions. Uh, Joseph, Matthew chapter one, chapter two. Um, the wise men, obviously, Matthew chapter two. We looked at a little bit of that Christmas with the, the series presence. Matthew 27, Pilate's wife. Um, Ananias in Acts nine. Saul, who now we know is Paul. Acts nine, Acts 16, Acts 18, Acts 22, Acts, uh, or 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, Cornelius in Acts 10. Peter in Acts 10 and Acts 11. You can go all the way to Revelation. Remember, the, the whole book of Revelation is a vision on the Isle of Patmos that John has had. So listen to me. God is well-versed in speaking through dreams and vision. It's a lot of the way he speaks. And here's the thing that I want, I, I really hope that as a church, we wrap our hearts around this. God still speaks today. And God still speaks in dreams and he still speaks in vision. Now, next week, we'll spend a little bit of time of, of making sure that we're balancing some of that because we don't wanna just fly off the handle and think, oh, well, God gave me a dream. Surely it was from God. No, there's, there's some metrics of checking that, right? Against the word. But God still speaks in dreams and visions. Let me give you just two verses that will prove until we are in the ground and glorified in heaven, all of us, the reason why I believe this, Joel chapter two, the prophetic message of Joel that we will see reiterated in Acts two. He says this, it will come after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. These are things not to be scared of. If the Lord gives you this gift of dream and vision and prophecy, it's a good gift. Why do I say that? Because he's the father of lights, the giver of every good and perfect gift. And he wants to give you a gift. Why would you not want that gift? Acts 2 is where it's reiterated. It says this, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is why I say, I believe that we're... We're on the precipice of a moment of great harvest. He's pouring out his spirit and we are begging for him to do so. It says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. See, basically, um, here it is, the New Testament church, the Holy Spirit lands on the house and then they reiterate everything that the prophet Joel had once said. 
So let me get back to the question. Has God ever spoken to you through a dream? Have you ever gotten this God-sized vision through dreams? Maybe do you have a God-sized dream for your life? I wanna take you to the theme verse that will basically kind of permeate this whole series. And it comes from Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. But before that, I wanna kind of back up to 19 because I want you to see something so profoundly important. It kind of gives you some why behind the what of even our vision language. It says this, Paul speaking, he says, may you experience the love of Christ. Can I tell you that this is such an origin for so many people? It's one thing to be intellectually stimulated theologically, but this thing is not gonna really become real to you until you encounter and experience the power and the love of Jesus. And so Paul is praying, he says, may you experience I know for whatever reason, call it enlightenment, call it reformation, whatever it is, that we've tried to divorce ourselves from the reality of emotion and experience. But listen, God is a God of emotion and God wants us to have an experience with him. He wants us to encounter him, not just as a one-off. He wants to encounter us daily. He wants to walk with us passionately and fervently. So Paul says, may you experience the love of Christ. And then he goes on to try to give some language to it. It's too great to understand fully. It's so overwhelmingly, unbelievably beautiful. And it says, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So this is very much an if-then statement. When you experience the love of God that is beyond human comprehension, then you will be full of life and power. And he goes on to say, now, here's our theme right here. All glory to God who is able, everybody say able, through his mighty work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Now he's not talking about the physical place of church. He's talking about the body of Christ. Glory to him in you, through you. And in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and forever. Let's look at Ephesians 3.20 in some different translations because I want you to see some language. In the NIV, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power that's worked within us. The New Century says, With God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we can ask or anything we can imagine. Um, the CEB uh, glory to God who is able to do far beyond all that we can ask or imagine by his power and work within us. And finally, the, 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 the good word, so I don't know, it's weird, dude, good word, I, I think that's what it is, good word, GW. But I like what it says. Glory belongs to God. That right there, stop. Just glory belongs to God. Whose power doesn't have to be, but he chooses, is it work within us? By this power, he can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. When I read that verse, and I think of the greatest thing that, that I can come up with in my finite imagination to ask the Lord for, and recognize that what he's saying is, is because of his great love, he can do so much more than the grandest thing that I could ever dream. And that's really what I want you to hang on to right this second. Because we can easily get so beat up and we're gonna see it here in the next three weeks together, the next four weeks. We're gonna see how easy it is to get so beat up 
that it's like that, that verse that we looked at, just a little bit of confusion when Pastor Aaron was talking about that last, in the last series. All the enemy wants to do is just give us just a little bit of confusion to knock us off center to where we're not focused on this glorious God, this immeasurable love of God that's pressing down on, on our lives, this favor of God that gives us such power that he wants to do so many things in our lives and through our lives that are so far beyond anything that we could ever think, ask, dream, or imagine. It's powerful. So I hope you're seeing this theme here, that God really can do immeasurably more than we can imagine. And he desires to do that work through us. So here's the question. As I was really camping on this series, and I think a lot of the things that you're seeing on these signs, super relevant. But I'll tell you what God said to me as I was really praying into the messaging here, is this. Yes, God is able, right? We said it, able. Say it again, able. God is able. But here's the question. Are we willing? That's the biggest question mark. He is able, but are we willing? Now, it's been said that doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. He's able, but are we willing? Genesis 37, if you'll go there with me. Genesis 37, first book of the Bible. And as I said, if you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, we'd love for you to have one at the response tables to the right and left and in the back of the room as well. There'll be some copies of a Bible there. We'd love for you to take that home with you as a gift. Everyone needs a physical copy. Now here we're going to see the story of a dreamer named Joseph. And like I said, over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to see how God used his life in very powerful and prophetic ways. We, you know, as we begin, we see that we're moving into a new and different section of the book of Genesis. Well, it's going to be devoted um, to Jacob and his family, to Jacob and his lineage, if you will. We've already met Jacob in a section of Genesis dedicated to the generations of Isaac, and though this section is named for the patriarch of Jacob, our main character will really be Jacob's son, Joseph, who's actually going to get um, about twice as much time in the storyline as even Jacob does, really through the next 14 chapters. It's really going to be more about Joseph than Jacob. Um, I quote this theologian, Warren Wearsby, a lot. I, I like to read his thought process. And something that Warren Wearsby once said is this, the history of Joseph can be read on at least three different levels. If we read it simply as literature, we discover a fascinating story involving a doting father, a pampered son, and some jealous brothers, a conniving wife, and an international food crisis. <laughs> and I thought that's, that's actually great. You know, that, that sums it up right there. But look, in this story, I think we find even more. In Joseph's life, we're gonna find the story of God speaking to someone, like I said, through dreams, giving his intention, making a prophetic announcement of what's to come. I think we see someone who ultimately will realize their purpose for existence in the origin of the dream from God. And in that, we'll be able to see and explore all sorts of things like joy, like pain, like community, enmity, unforgiveness, forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, restoration, seasons of joy, seasons of trial, seasons of suffering. Yet all in all, I believe Joseph's story will reveal to us this full life that's lived complete with many unexpected twists and turns. But his life will reveal a life that will have lasting legacy impact. So let's look together. Genesis 37, I'm gonna be in the New American Standard. We're gonna start in verse one. Also, it's beginning important to note, 
The story unfolds, we see this family, somewhat dysfunctional, somewhat divided home, complete with many destructive dynamics. They knew God, but they sinned against God and against one another. And when they, you know, they, they did that in what they would say to one another and what they would do. So read with me now in verse one, it says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had lived as a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when he was 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. You can't make those names up. Probably gonna be on the top 10 this year. These are his father's wives. So we see that Joseph's hanging out with his half-brothers, the sons of his father's first two wives, again, Bilhah and Zilpah. Like, okay, whatever. These ladies were rivals, which may speak to some of the division in the home. Now, Bilhah's kids were Dan and Nephtali. Zilpah's kids were Gad and Asher. And it appears that Joseph is basically an assistant. He's an apprentice, if you will, to those people, to those dudes. He's learning how to care for the sheep. And it's here we see that Joseph brought back this bad report about them to dad. Now, while we aren't sure what the report really was, um, what the half-brothers were doing that was bad or evil in the sight of Joseph, if you will, it was bad enough for him to come back to Jacob and say, hey, some ain't right, some ain't good. You need to know what's up, right? So what we do know is this. Joseph is young, 17 years old. He's, he's a person of integrity. Though young, he's got a moral compass leading him to report things, some sort of infidelity or some sort of horrible wickedness that he's seeing coming from his half-brothers. And we also know this in verse three. Now Israel, another name for Jacob, he loved Joseph more than all of his other sons because this was the son of his old age. And because Joseph was Jacob's favorite, Jacob made Joseph this full-length, multicolored tunic. Now, you may have heard the story as the coat of many what? Colors, right? Not sure what it really looked like, but we know it was full-length, and we know that it was a richly, if you're in the NIV, you might see a richly ornamented robe, if you will. Beautiful. Now, this was significant. This robe was actually representative of some things. It would non-verbally communicate some things to people around him, especially to his brothers. It, it, it would reveal a position of favor. It would reveal almost like a princely standing, if you will, a birthright. So obviously this did nothing but add more division into the already divided home. Jacob singling out one of his sons to say, this is my fave right here, y'all. Make no mistake, here's my favorite, right? <laughs> and, and gifting his favorite son something that would completely set him apart from all the other kids to, here's another thing, to reveal him to be the heir. This is the one who will be my heir right here. So do you see how this could be problematic amongst the family? Verse four, his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of the brothers, so they hated him. They couldn't even speak to him on friendly terms. When they would even speak to him, they would speak unkindly. There was no peaceful conversation. Then, as if it was already bad enough, Joseph has a dream. And when he tells this dream to his brothers, they hate him even more. Here's the first thing I want us to consider today. As we think about God speaking through dreams, put yourself in the story. As we consider that God can do more than we can ask or even imagine through us, ask yourself this question. Am I willing to receive the dream? Am I willing to receive it? If God is able, 
Am I willing? If God desires to give me a dream for my life, am I willing to receive God's dream for me? Even if it causes ridicule, even if it causes harassment, even if it causes people to hate me because of it. Am I willing to receive it? See, though a young servant boy will soon see that God is literally making this announcement of greatness over Joseph. That's what he's doing. He's making an announcement of greatness, of leadership. His life up to this point was enough to already cause jealousy. He was a a, a young dude who walked in the favor of his dad. So let me ask, what if when God speaks something great over you, it causes jealousy in others? Regardless, Are we willing to receive God's dream? Look at verse five. When Joseph told his dream to his brothers, they hate him even more. Verse six, he said to them, please listen to the dream that I've had. And here we go, verse seven, you ready for it? He says this, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf stood up and also remained standing and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, irony of this dream is that it involves wheat. It involves sheaves. Joseph and his brothers, they're not farmers, y'all. They're shepherds. So this dream would seem even more ridiculous. But again, this dream is foreshadowing something to come. It's God speaking an announcement of something that's coming. So he uses language. He uses something that seems crazy to the mind's eye or even to hear. But it's going to come full circle into fruition later. Verse eight, then his brother said, are you actually gonna reign over us? Are you really gonna rule over us? So now they, as if they didn't already, they hate him even more. They hate him for his dreams. They hate him for his words. Maybe Joseph should have cut, okay, maybe. Sometimes you just keep it to yourself. Good dream, kid. Zip it up. I mean, was that just a mark of immaturity? Maybe just his age, you know? I mean, how could, how, how could something so crazy come into fruition anyway? I don't know what you're talking about. Are you actually gonna reign over us? Do you think you're actually gonna rule over us? So you believe that you're gonna have authority and watch this, dominion over us, young brother. I hate him even more. Verse nine. Then he has yet another dream and he informs his brothers of it like he didn't learn the first time. And he says, behold, I've had another dream and behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. See, this time Joseph's dream is now spilling onto the whole family, including Jacob, who's representing the sun. Obviously, Jacob, we'll see in a minute, he believes that the moon is representing a mother figure and the 11, the, the whole the whole family is now gonna bow down. So this time, Joseph is saying, he's understanding the dream to mean that he would become, watch this, the designated ruler of the entire family. All of this infuriates the brothers even more. Most likely because they've already been jealous. They've already felt this envy for him. And also quite possibly because they believe that even possibly these dreams are even yet another sign of even God's favor on Joseph's life. So look at verse 10. He He also told this dream to his father as well as to the brothers, but his father and and Jacob rebukes him and says to him, what is this dream you've had? Am I and your mother and your brothers actually gonna come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers are jealous of him, but it says Jacob kept this matter in mind. Why? 
See, these two dreams couldn't help but irritate the already divided family and make things worse for Joseph. After all, how could Joseph ever really become the ruler when Jacob's the patriarch? And, and why would his brothers ever bow down to him? The whole thing was preposterous. When Joseph, though, reports the second dream, even Jacob becomes a little upset, rebukes him, but privately ponders the dream in his mind. Why? Because Jacob had also received messages from God through dreams before. And so he keeps it in mind. Maybe perhaps it was the Lord speaking to Joseph. Here's the second thing I want us to consider today as it pertains to God giving us a dream. Number one, are we willing to receive it when God speaks it? But I'd also ask this, number two, are we willing to risk it? Even when it may seem preposterous, even when it may seem improbable, listen, it might seem completely incongruent to anything based in reality. It might seem impossible, even when it might cost you your reputation. Are you listening? Even when it might cost you relationships, even when it may cost you friendships, even when it may cost you peace in the family dynamic. Is God's vision and dream for your life so important to you that you'd be willing to risk everything for it? See, it was then in verse 12, his brothers go to, to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. In Israel, Jacob says to Joseph, are your brothers not pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And, and Joseph says, I will go. And Jacob says, go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sends Joseph to the Valley of Hebron and, and, and Joseph comes to Shechem. Shechem is not a friendly place for them. It's not a good environment for them to be in. And now here comes Joseph. He's alone. He's in Shechem. He's looking for his brothers. A man finds him, which indicates that Joseph is just kind of wandering around a little bit lost, looking and he's not finding. So he feels a little lost here. The man says, um, who, what are you looking for? Joseph says, I'm looking for my brothers. Um, please tell me where they're pasturing the flock. The man says, they've moved from here for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found him at Dothan. Now here we are about 50 miles from home. Why so far? Well, Shechem was bad enough because like I said, they were not a welcomed entity in Shechem. But now they're 50 miles. This indicates that there's probably some things that are happening, some things that they're doing that they don't want anyone to know about. And so here goes Joseph looking for the brothers in Dothan. And when they saw him from a distance coming near, before he even came closer to them, they began to plot against him. They say, let's put him to death. See, their jealousy and their envy of Joseph had taken them so far down the path of hatred that this was their first thought as they see him coming near from a distance. Oh, let's kill him. Yeah, let's remove the competition, so to say. Let's do away with our source of anger, our source of frustration, even our source of comparison, because let's just face it. You look at envy, you look at comparison. They're all tools of the devil. Let's get rid of him once and for all. They say to one another, here comes the dreamer. Oh, here's the master of dreams. Here he comes. Now, come. Let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of the pits. And then we'll just tell dad that a vicious animal devoured him. Then, then we'll see what's gonna come of his dreams. Then we'll see what's gonna come of his dreams, right? But Reuben, the older brother, maybe he's got a little bit of conviction in him, the leader, if you will, of the brothers, hears this and he and rescues him out of their hands saying, no, 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 let's not take his life. And Reuben says, shed no blood. Let's just throw him in the pit. 
um, that's right there in the wilderness, basically a cistern. Let's throw him in the cistern, but let's not lay a hand on him. And then later, Reuben's kind of thinking, I'll come rescue him and return him to dad. Obviously, some sort of conscious Reuben has about him, not to mention he obviously loved his father more than he hated his brother. He could have shut the, the, the whole thing down completely and really been a leader, but instead he comes up with plan B. Um, so not to alienate the brothers, right? Just to keep everyone happy. And when I saw that, it hit me. Hey, see what peacekeeping versus peacemaking can do? Don't kill him. Let's just throw him in the cistern and leave him there. Now, I'm not sure of the real motivation, but one thing to consider, I know he didn't want to grieve his father. Verse 23, so it comes about when Joseph reaches his brothers, they strip Joseph of his tunic, the multicolored tunic that was on him. I really want you to see this. They strip him of the tunic. Oh, here comes the dreamer, they said. Let's kill him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Which if you think about just that in and of itself, what would put God to the most ultimate test? This right here. Well, let's just kill him. What would put God's dream to the altar? Well, let's just take him out. Here it comes. See, if Joseph's dream was truly a dream from God, there's no way Joseph would be defeated by the hatred of his brothers. But here's what they do. They strip him of his tunic. This is so significant. This is why I ask the questions. Are you willing to receive it? Are you willing to receive God's dream for your life? Are you willing to risk it by walking in faith? They strip him of his tunic. Now, maybe you're going, okay, what's so big about this? Listen, it's such a blatant way that the enemy attacks us to try to get us discouraged and depressed and divided. Our enemy hates us. He wants us to doubt God at every turn. He wants us confused in our circumstance. He wants us to doubt God's dream, God's love, God's purpose, God's heart, God's power, God's authority, God's ability. He wants all those things questioned. This is why we began the way we did because once you see what you're about to see, my hope is that our eyes are completely open to some of the realities in our own life and how the enemy has come against us to discourage us, to depress us, to divide us, to, to try and destroy us by making us doubt ourselves, but more importantly, making us doubt our God. Doubt his power, his authority, his word in us and over our lives, his dream for our lives, his ability. This is what the enemy wants to do. They stripped Joseph of his tunic. See, this was the moment that internal envy and hatred turned into sin incarnate, outward agreement with evil, giving full bloom just to blatant debauchery. They strip him of his identity. Listen, they strip him of his supposedly of his birthright. They strip him of supposedly his favor. They stole from him something his father had given to him. They, something his father was saying about him. Something his father was saying over him. Something that signified a promise and a purpose for his life. They stripped Joseph of his tunic. And then they took him and threw him in a pit. Do you know, do you know how many wounded people are wandering around in their own wilderness, sometimes self-imposed, sometimes, because they've been stripped of their tunic and they feel like they've lost their identity or maybe they never knew what it was. They wonder if there's any favor on their life. They stripped Joseph of his tunic and they threw him in a pit out of envy, out of jealousy, out of hatred, 
All attributes, again, all spirits closest to that of Satan. They strip him of his birthright and they push him in a pit to leave him there. Look at verse 25. And as if nothing happened, they sit down to eat bread. They sit down to eat a meal. But as they raise their eyes and look, behold, this caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, carrying resin and Balaam and myrrh, all, they're all on their way down basically to Egypt. Judah speaks up, says to his brothers, you know, what profit is it? Obviously he doesn't know Reuben's plan. What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Got a better idea. He goes, let's sell him. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not lay hands on him. Let's just sell him. We can't lay hands on him. By the, I mean, he's our brother. He's our own flesh. So all the brothers listen to Judah. Then some Midianite traders, they pass by. So they pull up and they lift Joseph out of this pit and they sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. So they, bought, they brought Joseph then into Egypt. Now Reuben returns to the pit later. Obviously he doesn't know what's going on. Behold, Jacob's not there or Joseph's not there, I'm sorry. And so Reuben tears his garments. This is an action of just emotional outpouring of just Grieve. He returns to his brothers and says, the boy's not there. Now you see the sense of responsibility and he actually speaks about the boy's not there. Where am I to go? What am I to do? I can't go as the leader of the tribe here and go back to dad and say, we don't know where he's at. Where am I to go? Ridiculed and rejected him. Stripped him of his identity. Pushed him into a pit, planning to abandon it, but now they've sold him into slavery. Judah's feeling it. What are we going to do? See, the brothers must have had such a sense of perverse pleasure in inflicting this pain on Joseph who they considered to be a massive pain to them, right? What must have Joseph, though, been feeling in this moment? Can you imagine the angst? Can you imagine the hurt, the confusion, the feelings of betrayal and rejection? Not just from his brothers, but I wonder, God, you gave me this dream. How could that? I wonder if he's even feeling a little bit of this forsakenness from God. Where are you? You, you gave me this dream. This does not make sense to the dream. See, I wonder if there was ever a moment of angry and exhausted appeal from Joseph. God, where are you? How does this work? I mean, what would, and what would Jacob's reaction be? None of this was lost on the brothers. Look at verse 31. So they take Joseph's tunic. They slaughter a male goat. They dip the tunic in blood. They send the multicolored tunic and brought it to their father and said, we found this. Hate to say it, dad. We found this. Inspect this. Examine this. And see whether this is your son's tunic or not. Jacob examines this coat that he had given to Joseph. And he says, this is my son's. And in his mind, he's trying to figure out what could have happened. A vicious animal must have devoured him. See, Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob, believing now that his son, his favorite son is lost, he's gone. He tears his clothes. He puts on a sackcloth undergarment over his waist and he mourns for his son many, many days. 
And all his sons and daughters, they get up, they try and comfort him, but he, he refuses to be comforted. And he says, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. And Jacob weeps for him. Now, meanwhile, it says the Midianites sold him in Egypt to a person named Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Case closed, right? It's done. He's out of the way. The dream and the dreamer is gone. I mean, whatever dream of greatness that was is surely dead. Ridiculed, rejected, stripped of identity, stripped of birthright, pitched down into that pit over there, abandoned, sold into slavery. What part of this was in God's dream? And maybe, just maybe, because I know I've done this before, where I feel like God has spoken something to me, but my outward circumstances, my experience does not match my expectation from what the Lord said or what I thought he said. And here's a man who his experience is so far off the reservation from the dream that God put in his heart. So at least the last thing I want us to consider this morning is it pertains to God's dream for our lives. No matter what, are we willing to receive it? Are we willing to risk it? But number three, are we willing to rely on God even through the pain, even through the situations and the circumstances that do not make sense to the reality of God? This is what you said, but here's where I am. What in the world? Are you willing to rely on God even in the pit when you feel like you've been rejected and abandoned and basically sold out to the simplest, most minute, unimportant things. When your friends have left you, when your family has mocked you, are you willing to rely on God even when you feel like you're losing it all? Or maybe you've already felt like you've lost it all. Are we completely, listen, are we willing to completely rely on God in order to walk completely into God's purpose and promise for our lives? Even when our experience is not looking the way that we expected. Is it possible that part of God's dream may involve some ridicule from those that may never understand it? Is it possible that we may face some rejection when it comes to God's plans and purposes for our life? Let me end by reminding us of all the things that we've said again. Are we willing to receive God's dream for our life when he gives it? Are we willing to risk it no matter what it might cost us? And are we willing to rely on God even when our experience is not matching our expectation? Even when the dream doesn't seem congruent with reality? and Even when it seems impossible? I just wonder how many of us we think of things like imagine and, and, and it feels fluffy and furry and cute and, and inspirational. And, and maybe, maybe you've sat here and you said, you know what, here's what I imagined for my life. Here's what I imagined for my family. Here's where I imagine I'd be right now in my career. And pastor, if I'm being honest, none of that is coming to fruition. In fact, I'm barely sitting in this chair today. I'm barely shuffling, putting one foot in front of the other in this thing called life. And honestly, I don't really have a solid definition for my why. I don't really even know what I'm doing right now. I'm just kind of existing merely. But can I tell you something? You have a God who loves you, who has put his tunic upon you, who has favor for you. And he has a plan for your life. It doesn't mean that it's all gonna be sunshine and roses. 
It's not a gospel that's just based upon prosperity, or I should say American prosperity. In fact, the gospel that we're called to is a gospel, I hate to say, but I have to say, of suffering. That's what we're called to. We're called to a gospel of suffering. And that doesn't sound exactly super funny. It's, it's not, hey, I tell you this, it's not, it's not in all the things of things to say to grow a church. <laughs> but I'm just trying to be real for you. Because I'm going to tell you straight, the devil is going to ensure that your experience doesn't match your expectation. But I can also tell you, you have insurance that you have a father who has placed a tunic on you that can never be stripped off when you say yes to him. And no matter what it is that you're walking through right now, whether it's the valley of the shadow of death or whether it's a pit, or whether you feel like you've been sold out to the lowest bidder, 20 shekels of silver. I mean, maybe that was good money back in the day. And maybe you feel sold out. Can I tell you something? Jesus knows every one of those emotions. Every one of them. Hey, let's pray this morning, can we? I'm gonna invite the team back out and just in the next five minutes before we go. Just wanna give you a chance to sit with the Lord for a minute. And we're gonna pray for just a second and then we're gonna stand and we're just gonna, we're just gonna rest in the presence of the Lord. Invite the Holy Spirit to do what it is he desires. He's our helper, he's our healer. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift and he is the giver of every vision. Listen to me, every dream. And it's good. And yes, the enemy's, he's gonna come against it. He's gonna come against it. But I want you to be encouraged this morning that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Hold on if you're in the pit. Hold on if you feel like you've been sold out for just a little bit of silver. Hold on if you feel like you have been marked by rejection. If you feel like you've been abandoned, and maybe you have, but hold on. Because you have a father who sees and you have a father who remembers the dream that he placed in you long, long, and long ago. And he who began the good work will be faithful. So Jesus, we need you right now. There's so many things that you wanna pour into us. There's so many things that you want us to realize. Obviously freedom. I can imagine Joseph in that pit. And I can imagine how many of us are sitting here in our own pit right now desperate for freedom, forgiveness. The enemy has convinced us that we can never be forgiven, but we have a father who would send his only son to die in our place so that we could receive the gift and the knowledge of unconditional, absolute forgiveness. And God, maybe we're sitting here questioning our purpose. We're questioning if you are the God of promise, but I pray that we would be so encouraged in our inner man right now this morning.
to know that faithful is he who calls and he will bring it to pass. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Lord, would you encourage us this morning? Maybe we're here and we don't have a relationship with you, Jesus. And we are in a pit and we are in pain and we need the promise. And if you're here this morning, I'm gonna simply invite you to take this step to say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I wanna know your promises for my life. I wanna know freedom. Right here in this moment, you can call upon his name. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and he will rescue you. He will pull you out of that pit. He will fill your life, your heart, and your mind with purpose, with passion. And he will set you free in forgiveness. Just call upon his name. Jesus, I need you. Hey, if you're here this morning, you're saying, that's what I need. I need, I need, I just need Jesus right now. Would you slip a hand up if you would say, that's me? Anybody? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Those of you who placed a hand in the air just for a second, and even if you're online, I'm gonna invite you to pray with me. Nothing magical about this. We're just gonna admit and say, Jesus, we need you. Would you pray something like this? Maybe in your heart of hearts, out loud, if you led to, comfortable, that's fine, but just pray with me. Jesus, I need you. I invite you to take full control of my life, my heart, my mind. I need your promises from your word. I need your forgiveness and your freedom. I want your friendship. Now, would you change my mind, change my heart, change my life. Forgive all of my yesterdays. Remove all of my regret. And fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray right now. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, can we just give God our best? Because at least three people in the room just said yes to Jesus. Come on. Come on, be better, be better, better. I invite you to stand to your feet because I can't help but feeling like, listen, I can't tell you how many times, listen to me one more, just one more second. I can't tell you how many times I have felt so lonely in a pit. And if you feel that way right now, you have a father of promise, listen to me, who grieves over your hurt. You have a father of promise who mourns over your feelings of rejection, abandonment, just like Jacob mourned over Joseph. And this morning, I wanna invite you as we sing this song and just invite Holy Spirit to do what he desires to do in our lives right now. We have prayer team that's waiting to receive you over here. And if you just need someone to encourage you, to speak life over you and into you, just for a moment, just to, just to remind you of the goodness of God, I'm gonna invite you to step out from where you are. Just step out in faith and go find one of those prayer partners and just say, would you pray for me? And they'll take over, it's okay. They'll take over from there. You can be encouraged. They're there to support you and champion you and pray for you and encourage you. And they're discreet. They're not gonna go tell anybody anything. And maybe you just need time with the Lord. The altar will be open just for a few minutes. This We call it the altar. Altars are where sacrifices are made. And maybe you just need to come up and spend some time with the Lord as we pray this song. Holy Spirit, our helper, our healer, all we need is you. Because maybe that's where we are right now. It's hard for us to imagine this God who can do unfathomably more. But I'm telling you, he can. 
And he wants to plant that into your heart of hearts this morning. And so as we sing, you feel free to move and respond as you're led. Thank you so much for joining us today. Maybe today you need to take your next step in faith, whether that would be giving your life to Christ, or maybe you need prayer to be contacted by one of our pastors. In the podcast description, you will find a link to our website and a link to an online connection card. And if you feel led, there's a link that you can give directly to the Ministries of Declaration. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.